good evening to everyone. Welcome to Maniac Marketers. I am your host, Terry Allison. I see that Dave's having some trouble with bandwidth. and uh, I understand about having uh, technical issues. As you can see, I've gotten knocked out uh, a few times uh, since I've been in here. <clears throat> so, but we'll just have to... Uh, We'll just have to work with uh, what we have and try to make the best of it. So, well, uh, I thank you for all uh, coming out and, and uh, being with me and, and uh, hear, uh, hear about the Maniac Marketers. Uh, as always, if you'd like to uh, uh, be interactive, uh, you're welcome to do that. You know, if you want to chime in on the, on the discussion as I'm uh, presenting stuff. Hey, that's okay. That's just the way that way that we learn, and uh, uh, it helps you and it helps me both. So, uh, so tonight's title is "Creating Positive Change as the Ultimate Test of a Leader in a Work-at-Home Business." And uh, and I've really been kind of conscious of uh, uh, the presentations over the last uh, a few weeks, and uh, and and I want to uh, cut those down so I. Uh, I really uh, I broke this uh, into basically two parts here. So this the, we're just going to cover the first part of creating positive positive change uh, for our, uh, for this week, and then we'll cover the next part next week. And uh, because there was there's just so much uh, information in each of these chapters, and and uh, and I want to give you uh, an overall. Uh, you know, I want I want you to be able to take the information and, and let it kind of soak in on a, on each segment and stuff like that, and you know, just kind of think about it. So, well, let's uh, let's talk about why why people come uh, looking for a work at home business. What draws them in? Well, people come for a search of money. You know, lots of money. They've been. Uh, Told that you know they can make thousands of dollars uh, on the internet, and and uh, they've been shown how how easy it is to, to do that, and uh, so they you know they they come for that you know wanting that high income. Some just want a replacement income. Maybe they're uh, there's uh, both uh, both uh, the mom and dad are are working outside the home, and uh, one parent wants to. Uh, be you know be able to stay at home, but they want uh, that replacement income to uh, uh, come into effect uh, for that that second person uh, that's you know that used to work outside the home. Uh, so they come for that. Some people just can't take it with their boss anymore. Uh, they can't they can't even they don't even want to look at them. Uh, they're just so fed up with them. Uh, maybe the boss, you know, growls at them all the time, or or whatever. But they don't want to have anything to do with it. Maybe the boss, maybe the boss makes stupid decisions. Uh, who knows? But people come for for all sorts of reasons of uh, just being fed up with their boss. Some people, hey, they want a challenge. They want to be their own boss. They want to be in control of their own life. And uh, uh, they want to be able, instead of having to go to a boss, a supervisor, or what, a manager, or whatever you want to call them, uh, and say, uh, uh, "Hey, uh, this is what I want to do, and and uh, I'm going I'm going to do it." Uh, they want they want that kind of control to be able to uh, uh, to say what what they do at nine o'clock in the morning or or two in the afternoon, and, uh, so uh, it could be control issue. Some people, hey, they want freedom and flexibility. They want to be able to, uh, uh, you know, take some time off and, and maybe go with the family. Hey, and it doesn't even have to be a long trip or anything. Sometimes, uh, you know, I and I uh, because uh, school is so prevalent in our home because I have two boys, uh, you know. Uh, being able to uh, take off and 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 go to a, a school conference, parent-teacher conference, uh, means a lot. Uh, 
uh, my son was a sick, uh, uh, my older son was sick in, in uh, uh, last fall. He had a fainting spell, and I was, I did one of those uh, ludicrous things and thought I needed to go uh, get a job outside the home. And, uh, boy, when he got, uh, when he had his fainting spell, I couldn't go be with him. I had to stay and, and answer telephones and all that. And I just, that just really tore me up. Uh, because, uh, over the last 20 years, I've been able to, you know, take off when I wanted and, and, uh, and just gone and, and did that. But, uh, so, uh, being able to, you know, to be flexible and, and have that freedom. Uh, be able to say when you're going to take a vacation. You know, if you have the funds for it, uh, and uh, you know you've disciplined your your life and you know works under control and everything, or or you know in our business uh, we use computers. Uh, you know we can take our computers with us, and we could go down to Florida. We could go down to over to Hawaii, uh, California. Some people even like Alaska. Uh, certain times of the year, so uh, freedom and flexibility means a lot. Some people, hey, they're doing it for the family. They want to be, they want to watch their kids grow up, uh, and they want to be with them. You know, if they're stuck in a nine-to-five job, you know, like I say, they're not around. There's that that specific amount of time that they're just, you know, and and, and the nine-to-five job is not just eight hours. Because you got to take travel time, you got to, uh, you know, and that includes rush hour and stuff like that. So you could be away from the home, not just eight hours, but you might, it might be 10, 12 hours, depending on what you do. <clears throat> Some people want to have that family legacy. They want to, uh, they want to start up the business. They want to show their kids how to run the business. Maybe they want to retire and, and uh, say, hey, kids. Uh, you take this on, or maybe they just want to uh, help the kids get started in their own business, and so they, you know, it's a way for them to to branch out, you know, leaving a leaving a legacy for them. So, and it's, you know, it's about teach being able to teach uh, your family, uh, uh, you know, being able to uh, be in a work at home business for themselves, giving them that entrepreneurial spirit uh, which our country was founded on so, but anyway many people come uh, to work at home business for for uh, for many reasons you know this is just a few of them there may be some others that uh, that uh, hit more home to you that uh, that I haven't included here and that's okay but uh, we just hit a hit a few of them well we want to mentor you to be successful in a work-at-home business. And when I say that, that includes using the tools that we have uh, in our business, and uh, it also includes being a leader in your business. You know, many people come, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, be my own boss and, and all this kind of stuff, but they don't have a clue as to what it means to be a leader. So we want to we want to give you both parts, not just one or the other. And we're gonna we're gonna uh, wrap this into a, basically. A, I know this sounds clicheish, but okay. So uh, uh, we want we want to help you be the leader in your business. But, you know, uh, change, change everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, uh, some people don't get that. I know I was talking with a, a petty officer one time, uh, and uh, I said something about uh, oh, uh, our president's leadership. That, uh, I, was, I was probably uh, derogatory. Well, in fact, I know I was. But uh, anyway, uh, I said that he didn't have any leadership skills. And uh, this this petty officer, you know, which he's in control of, uh, uh, you know, he's a boss in his uh, in what he does, and he was saying, well, it doesn't always fall on leadership, and but it does. Uh, everything 
falls on leadership <clears throat> because uh, everything flows from the leader. So leaders uh, need to be able to work on themselves because leaders also resist change just as much as followers do. See, and if, and if that happens, then, uh, then the, your organization uh, goes unchanged as well. So if you're ever wondering you know, why your organization is, is spiraling down in a hole, then uh, and that's why. Because uh, the leadership, you, if you're the leader uh, in your business, uh, okay. Well, how do you tell if a leader is in trouble? Well, here's some characteristics uh, that uh, that uh, John Maxwell listed uh, for us in his book, uh, Developing a Leader Within You, which is, uh, I've taken the information from that and built this presentation. And I'll just list these things out here, and we'll, we'll talk about some of these things uh, more as we go through it. But a, a leader, a, a, a leader in trouble has a poor understanding of people. They just don't get them. Uh, they, they don't know what makes them tick. Uh, lacks imagination. Has personal problems. They pass the buck. Oh, it's not my fault. It's got to be somebody else's. Feel secure and satisfied. Is not organized. What well, if there was one that was a? I felt as a personal attack on me. Uh, as I would say, it's that one there. Is not organized. Uh, I'm just organized differently than than a lot of people. You know, I know Jerry Lynch can attest to this that uh, you know, I got stuff all over my desk here, and but I got you know my I got my space that I need, uh, my elbow room uh, that's just perfect for me. If someone was to go mess up a particular pile or, or move stuff around, I would not be able to find it. So, uh, but you know, none of these characteristics is uh, as an attack on on any person. But, uh, but you know, I, I'm not as organized as uh, what I'd like to be. But I'm just organized. I I look at it that I'm organized in a different way. Flies into rages will not take a risk, is insecure and defensive, stays inflexible, has no team spirit, a fight change. Well, oh, Howard Hendricks, in his book, Teaching to Change Lives, throws a challenge out to every potential leader. And he says to write down somewhere in the margins, uh, on, uh, on, or just on a piece of paper somewhere, and ask yourself these questions. And uh, if you and if you want to write them down, I'll I'll, I'll go slow. Uh, slow. I'll read them uh, fairly slow here. How have you changed lately? In the past week, let's say, or the last month, maybe the last year. Can you be specific? Or must your answer be indirectly or incredibly vague? You say, you're growing. Okay. How? Well, you say, well, in, in all kinds of ways. That's great. Name one. See, your answer's got to be specific. How have you grown? How have you grown over the last month? How have you grown over the last six months? How have you grown over the past year? And name it. The more you change, the more you become an instrument of change in the lives of others. If you want to become a change agent, you also must change. Now, Hendrix used this uh, example from old, uh, about old Henry Ford. Now, 
uh, he was a you know he was a pretty successful guy. You know he was the first one to uh, 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 what do you call it uh, stream not streamline but uh, you know make mass production of uh, of the automobile. So he's had a lot of success. But uh, and and with that success comes uh, other uh, other faults as well. So uh, but uh, he tells a story about old Henry Ford. Uh, yeah, and it's and it's found in this uh, biography for the man and the machine, and this uh, the guy that wrote is as uh, Lacey, Robert Lacey. Says Ford was a man who loved his Model T so much he didn't want to change a bolt on it. He even kicked out William Knudsen, his ace production man, became because Knudsen. Thought he saw the sun setting on the Model T. That occurred in 1912 when the Model T was only four years old and at the crest of its popularity. Ford had just returned from a European jaunt and he went to a Highland Park, Michigan garage and saw the new design created by Knudsen. Well, on the scene, mechanics recorded how Ford momentarily went berserk. Oh, man. He spied this gleaming red lacquer sheen on a on a new low-slung version of the Model T that he considered a monstrous perversion of his beloved Model T design. Ford had his hands in his pockets, and he walked around that car three or four times, recounted an eyewitness, and it was an, a, it was a four door job, and the top was down. Finally, oh four, he got the the left hand side of the car. He just grabbed a hold of it, and he takes his hands out, gets hold of that door, and bang! He ripped the door right off. Oh man, how that man had done it! Oh, I don't know. He jumped in there and bang goes the other door. Bang goes the windshield. He jumps over the back seat and starts pounding on the top. He rips the top with the heel of his shoe. He wrecked the car as much as he could. Well, now what do you think old Nutson did? Nutson left for General Motors. Henry Ford nursed along the Model T. Well, Ford uh, tried to nurse, nurse the Model T along, but design changes in the competitors' models made it more old-fashioned than he wanted to admit. Competitive necessity finally backed him to him making the Model A, though his heart was never in it. Even though General Motors was nipping at Ford's heels, the inventor wanted life to freeze as it was. So, you got to be willing to change. To be a leader, as William H. Hewitt, chairman of Deere and Company says, to be a leader you must preserve all through your life the attitude of being receptive to new ideas. The quality of leadership you will give will depend upon your ability to evaluate new ideas, to separate change for the sake of change for from change for the sake of men. Wow. So be a leader is going to involve change. Uh, just like Henry Ford, he didn't want to accept it. And we see what happened that he, uh, you know, he could have been even more ahead of uh, General Motors uh, if he would have uh, accepted Nutson's ideas. Uh, okay, I, I thought I'd skip one. Okay, change the leader, change the organization. Change equals growth. Knowing the tech, uh, you got you, you got to remember that there's two important requ requirements or requisites 
to bring about change, knowing the techni technical requirements of the change, and understanding the attitude and motivational demands for bringing it about. Both requisites are critically necessary. More often than not, though, when failure to change results, it is because of inadequate or inappropriate motivation, not from lack of technical smarts. You see, a manager usually will be more skilled in the technical requirements of change, whereas the leader will have a better understanding of the attitudinal and motivational demands that the followers need. Now here's, here's the difference. In the beginning, the skills of a leader are essential. Remember we were talking about managers and, and leaders a, a few weeks ago. So in the beginning, the skills of a leader are essential. No change will ever occur if the psychological needs are unmet. Once change has begun, the skills of a manager are needed to maintain needed change. Now here's a, here's a good exercise uh, for you to try uh, when, you, when you face change. Uh, make a list of the log logical advantages and the disadvantages that should result from the change and then make another list indicating the psychological impact. Now just seeing this on paper will make it more concrete for you because you can rattle it around up in your head uh, however long you want but uh, you know until you actually write it down on paper that makes it more concrete. You're right, Bush. If we do not change with the ways of the Internet, we shall surely not reach the level of success that we could have. The Internet is constantly changing entity that we must tap into. That's absolutely right. Uh, we got to change with that. But, you know, um, the his history, you know, uh, will tell us that, you know, people... Are resistance to change, uh, no matter the facts, and uh, and that's really sad. But you know we have to we got to understand that because when we kind of understand that, we kind of you know try to get into the minds of uh, of people as to why they don't change. Uh, but uh, uh, you know the, for centuries, uh, Aristotle was right when he said that the that the heavier an object, the faster it would fall to earth. Well, Aristotle was regarded as the greatest thinker of all times, and surely he could not be wrong. All it would have taken is for one brave person to take two objects, one heavy and one light, and drop them from a great height to see whether or not the heavier object landed first. But no one stepped forward until nearly, get this, 2,000 years later after Aristotle's death in 1589, Galileo summoned learned professors to the base of the learning tower of Pisa. Then he went to the top and pushed off two weights, one weighing 10 pounds and the other weighing one pound. Now guess what? Both landed at the same time. But the power of belief in the conventional wisdom was so strong, the professors denied what they had seen. They continued to say Aristotle was right. Wow. And then, of course, Galileo with his telescope proved the theory of Copernicus that the earth was not the center of the universe. The earth and the planets revolved around the sun, Yet, when he tried to change people's beliefs, he was thrown into prison and spent the rest of his life under house arrest. Wow. You know, uh, even though he was up, showed them, showed them that, uh, uh, they were still unwilling to, uh, to change. And then there was the account of a scurvy. Um, in 1533, 
Cartier made his second voyage to Newfoundland. Of his 103-man or 103-man crew, 100 developed agonizing scurvy and went in great anguish when the uh, 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 Iroquois Indians of Quebec came to the rescue with what was described as miraculous cure. The Iraqis, uh, Iraqis, Iroquois Indians gave the six sailors an infusion of bark and leaves of the pine tree. Well, in the same year, in 1553, Admiral Sir Richard Hawkins noted that during his career on the high seas, 10,000 seamen under his command had died of scurvy. He also recorded that in his experience, sour oranges and lemons had been most effective in curing the disease. Yet these observations had no sweeping effect in bringing about an awareness of what could prevent scurvy and the observations of this admiral went unheeded. Well then, uh, James Lynn, a British naval surgeon who later became the chief physician of the Naval Hospital at Portsmouth, England, published a book in 1753, That's, this is 200 years later, in which he stated explicitly that scurvy could be eliminated simply by supplying sailors with lemon juice. He cited many case histories from his experience as a naval surgeon at sea. He proved that much things as, uh, as mustard cress, tamarinds, oranges, and lemons would prevent scurvy. In fact, anything that contains enough vitamin C, which is most abundant in citrus fruits, tomatoes, and to a lesser degree in most green vegetables and other fruits will prevent scurvy. You might rightfully expect that Dr. Lynn would have been highly honored and praised for his great contribution, but the reverse is true. He was ridiculed. He became frustrated and remarked bitterly, some persons cannot be brought to believe that a disease so fatal and so dreaded can be cured or prevented by such easy means. They would have more faith in an elaborate composition dignified with the title of an antiscorbutic golden elixir or the like. The, the some persons to whom Dr. Lynn referred to was my lord of the almighty at, at Admiralty, excuse me, and other physicians. In fact, they ignored Dr. Lynn's advice for another 40 years. 40 years. One sea captain did take his advice, the now famous Captain James Cook, who uh, stocked his ships with an ample supply of fresh fruits. Now, the Royal Society honored Captain Cook in 1776 for his success. But the officials of the Navy ignored his report. They ignored his report still. And here's all this research that's, that's been done, all these experiences. Oh, it wasn't until 1794, that's another uh, almost 20 years, it would be 18 actually, uh, 1794, the year of Dr. Lynn's death, was a British Navy squadron supplied with lemon juice before a voyage. On that voyage, which lasted 23 we weeks, there was not one case of scurvy, yet another decade passed before regulations were enacted requiring sailors to drink a daily ration of lemon juice to prevent scurvy. And with this enactment, scurvy disappeared from the British Navy. How about that? So you can put that out there in front of people, and and uh, and some people still don't get it. Well, we got to ask ourselves: Why do people resist change? You know, for us, you know, why do people get stuck in their marketing habits? You know, why do they get stuck on doing those things that you know we know? That uh, that could be done better, because we've uh, we've experienced it. Well, 
It's kind of like this Peanuts cartoon. Charlie Brown says to Linus, Perhaps you give me an you can give me an answer, Linus. What would you do if you felt that no one liked you? Linus replies, Well, I'd look. To, I'd try to look at myself objectively and see what I could do to improve. That's my answer, Charlie Brown. To which Charlie re replies, I hate that answer. There's a lot of people that's like Charlie Brown. You know, they resist change. Uh, and, uh, you know, why do people resist? Well, a lot of people resist because, uh, here's the first one. The change is not self-initiated. They feel that other people are, are trying to manipulate them. Even if they know, even if they, you know, think that it's a good idea, it's like, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's like, what do you get up your sleeve, you know? Uh, so they go into that kind of, uh, stinking thinking. And, uh, so, you know, if, if they can initiate it themselves, hey, they're all on board. Okay, the next one here. Routine is disrupted. Oh, man. Habits allow us to do things without much thought, which is why most of us have so many of them. Habits are not instincts. They are acquired reactions. They don't just happen. They are caused. First, we... Okay, first, we form habits, but then our habits form us. Change threatens our habit patterns and force us to think reevaluate and sometimes unlearn past behavior you know uh, this is the one that really hits me all the time because if I get into a routine of doing something that's like you know uh, I get it, it's more of a for me it's in a in a habit of doing I do because I got to do something uh, and uh, so you know it's like a but even when I know that there's something better, it's like, okay, you got to go. I can't really go cold turkey. It's like, I just got to do this. And, well, I guess it is kind of cold turkey. It's like, I got to make that change. But this other, this new thing I'm doing, that becomes my habit. And, uh, and then, you know, I get stuck on that. Uh, but then, uh, and then I find that I learn some more. And then, uh, and it, it's like, oh, you got to do it. It's like if I get stuck at uh, uh, making, well, and for me, and uh, this is something I recently ran on, ran into. It's like uh, for every blog post, uh, it's like I was making 500 uh, free pages. Well, that's, that's you know seems to take me a long time. And it's like, well, I know I I need to write a blog every day, and it's like. How do I balance my time? You know, you know, something's got to give. But I know uh, that you know, because I've seen the results that you know, doing 500 blogs and and doing a thousand classified ads will get me to where I need to be. But I know that there's a more efficient way to do it. And so uh, I got to uh, you know, all of a sudden start doing this new thing because if I don't, my uh, my routine won't get disrupted and I won't see the success so uh, but that's why people uh, it for it's hard for them uh, to change the routine is disrupted of what they're doing so like an MLMer you know they're stuck in, in, in doing this thing that you know they're they're constantly doing and they feel that you know somehow by doing they're making progress when we know that there's more money available out there to them if they will just change that routine. But changing the routine can be hard. Okay, another reason uh, people resist change, it creates fear of the unknown. And uh, and maybe that's why a lot of MLM people, that may, maybe that's another draw for them that, you know, they, they, they can't see it. 
because uh, they know what they're into right then, or they they think they know, but uh, but they don't really. They don't quite understand it. Okay. When we are not open to learning because we think we know, and a paradigm takes place, data right before our eyes will not be seen. Yep, you're right on, Shane. You're right on. So, that uh, change creates fear of the unknown. They're traveling in uncharted waters. Um, another reason for resistance to change, uh, the purpose is just unclear. Uh, employees resist change when they hear uh, about it from a, a second-hand source. You know, you know, so-and-so said this, or this manager said this, uh, and, uh, and you know, it depends on how far removed that person is, too, from that person. Uh, and it may affect, it's supposed to affect the whole company, but, in, in, uh, but you know, that, ch that change is just not, uh, just not clear enough. Oh, here's a big one. People resist change because change creates fear of failure. They're afraid that they're going to uh, uh, to fail. Uh, it's just like a you know being able to pick up the phone and all that. Uh, uh, you know, it's like uh, well, what what if I uh, mess up on the phone? Uh, you know. They have that fear that, uh, uh, well, and, and sometimes uh, people won't start a, a work-at-home business because, you know, what if it doesn't work out uh, type mentality. So they're, they're afraid. Uh, and uh, for some people, if at first you don't succeed, failure may be your thing. I hate to say it, but, you know, uh, you got to keep on. you got to keep on trying. you got to be able to change yourself. And uh, and to grow. The rewards for change do not match the effort change requires. The rewards for change do not match the effort change requires. Well, I can't really think of anything in the work at home business because. You know, the rewards are definitely out there. Uh, all we have to do is, is just go get them and uh, learn the techniques, learn the business, learn the leadership, learn the tools. Uh, the rewards are definitely out there. But some people, you know, they just don't quite get the big picture. And this is those people. People are just too satisfied with the way things are. And, uh, and a, a great example of that is 1940s. The Switch watch was the most prestigious and best quality watch in the world. Consequently, 80% of the watches sold in the world were made in Switzerland. In the late 50s, the digital watch was presented to the leaders of the Swiss watch company. They rejected this new idea because they knew they already had the best watch and the best watchmakers. The man who had developed the digital watch subsequently sold the idea to, guess who? Seiko. And in 1940s, Swiss watch making companies employed 80,000 people. Today, the employee, uh, they employ 18,000. So they went from 80,000 to 18,000. In 1940, 80% of the watches sold in the world were made in Switzerland. Today, 80% of the watches are digital. And so there's, a, there's an example of a company that was not willing to change. And we even have someone uh, here uh, in, in more recent history, and that's old, uh, our man Bill Gates. Now, I know uh, a lot of people 
criticize Microsoft and, and uh, how sometimes they they mess up things for us. But uh, you know, I want you to I want you to think about this. Uh, Microsoft not messing it up. IBM did. You see, because the way I understand the story, Bill Gates and his buddies went to IBM first, and they thought they built the best computer, and that no one would buy a little small computer for their home. Uh, so they did it with Microsoft, and then uh, and then uh, and the Intel people, and so uh, uh, so. Now Microsoft's big, and, and uh, IBM had to do a major rethinking campaign. Uh, another company that's, uh, uh, that got forced into it uh, in recent history, and that's old, uh, that's old GM, when we had to... Uh, Ooh, doggy! That was a rough ride. <laughs> okay, I'm back here. Uh, oh, but, uh, uh, our, ge our government bailed out. GM. Yeah, you can go on about forever about this government. Yeah, but uh, even the government, uh, from what I understand, uh, in dealing with GM, uh, they had to fire their head people to get a, a major uh, restructuring uh, uh, of leadership there to get uh, you know things uh, uh, flowing better, flowing of ideas, and just. Uh, you know, get rid of that uh, old GM mentality. See, uh, and old, uh, Ross Perot even tried to do that back in what the early, uh, early or late. I guess it's more uh, about mid to late 80s. Uh, Ross Perot was going to uh, help him out with uh, that with his uh, computer company, EDS, I believe it is, and uh, and they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't make the change. So, uh, yeah. People are just too satisfied with the way things are. But if you're here, you're looking for something uh, to uh, to change about yourself. Uh, our next one here is change will not happen when people engage in negative thinking. And uh, God, what more can you say about that? Uh, you know, people are just. Oh, the weather's just too bad. I, I could never work in a home business, and and uh, you know, blah 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 blah. And when you hear those kind of people, you know, just turn and run, or disconnect them, or do something. You don't need to hear that kind of stinking thinking. Uh, uh, those people, you know, they're not going to do a business anyway. And. Uh, yeah, I don't blame you, Butch. Uh, don't work in a conventional business. Harder to get away from them. <laughs> so, uh, uh, why pre people resist change is the followers lack respect for the leader. They just don't get him or something. They just there's something about him or or something, uh, and uh, they don't have confidence in him. Uh, but uh, yeah, in working at a leadership conference, oh, uh, John Maxwell says that you've got to love people before you can lead them. So, uh, so you got to love the people, because uh, that's the way way to build. That's the way you build uh, credibility with them, trust. Well, the leader is susceptible to feelings of personal criticism uh, when you know uh, for growth and continual effectiveness every organization must go through a continuous four-stage cycle of create conserve criticize and change so they create something they well do, do we really need to do that uh, but that's really sucks but uh, but you know they know that something's got to be done differently, so they do change it, and then they think about well how do how can I how can we make it better type thing. But they got to go through that that process. Now you'll notice that stages one and four 
are the offensive functions of the organization. Stages two and three are the defensive functions. Either the creators handle criticism positively and begin to make changes, or they will be replaced by those who will embrace change and therefore create. So you got to keep on changing and growing. Well, uh, change may mean personal loss, uh, and that's why the resistance to change. Uh, you know, there's some they uh, they'll do uh, they'll they'll in one of three groups, uh, or usually three three groups within an organization. Uh, one group will be those who will lose, two those who are neutral, and sometimes I refer to those kinds of people as the ones that really don't give a uh, don't really care one way or another maybe they see the good and the bad of both or something like that and then there's those who will benefit and and, uh, and so each group is different and they got to be handled differently but they but you got to hit, hit it straight on well another reason for uh, resisting change change requires additional commitment Time is of the most precious commodity for for people. So uh, when people, when when whenever change is about to happen, we all look to see how it will affect our time. Usually, we conclude that increased change will be fine if if it does not increase our time commitment. So uh, so if, you know if you're expecting a little more out of people, uh, they may be. Uh, resistance to it. So uh, the person, the leader, has got to determine, uh, you know, uh, if that person is unwilling to change or un are unable to change. You know, uh, if they're just flat out not wanting to, and uh, it doesn't matter what you say to them, then it's like. Time to go. Time for them to go, and you know, let's get somebody in that uh, position who is is more uh, willing, uh, and maybe they're unwilling for maybe maybe certain principle that you haven't addressed with them yet, or uh, you know, or you haven't explained uh, something well enough uh, for them yet. So something along along those lines, along those lines. Well, um, we can guess this next one here. Narrow-mindedness thwarts acceptance of new ideas. And uh, I think Butcher, someone mentioned about egos earlier. And I think uh, this fits perfect here. Uh, you know, people, you know, there's, there's still some people out there. Uh, there's like 1,600 people who belong to this International Flat Earth Research Society of America. Can you believe that? 1,600 people. They think that the Earth is flat. And uh, it's like uh, when they when they saw the uh, the globe in grade school, they didn't accept it then, and they they don't accept it now. So it's like you know they're not going to change for for nothing. It was even this one uh, 100 uh, year old guy. Uh, and this reporter drove up from New York City to interview the old man. And, uh, and the old man was there sitting on the front porch, and the reporter said, I'll bet you've seen a lot of changes in your lifetime. And uh, the old man replied, Yep, and I've been again every one of them. So this old man, there I am talking, and uh, the talk button's not even latched. Okay. Uh, the, uh, he was resistance to change. Uh, tradition resists change. Oh man, that is a big one. Uh, there's this there's this uh, story that I heard back when I was pastoring about moving a piano, and uh, uh, this uh, this uh, pastor came in. And uh, uh, he moved the piano 
across the church to it was going to be a, a better position. People would hear it better and everything. And boy, when the people saw that, they just threw a fit. And uh, guys, it's like you know, from that point on. And he was there. I don't know a, a good long time, five, ten. I guess it was uh, closer to ten years. And uh, uh, he had a hard time in that church. And uh, but he but he stayed with it. Well, then uh, then it was time for him to go. A new pastor came in and uh, brought a new ministry in and stuff like that. And uh, and ten years passed, and uh, 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 he came back for a visit ten years later, and uh, he noticed that the piano had been moved from that one spot where he had moved it from, and it was over to this new over to that new spot. And uh, he he talked with the pastor after the service, and uh, he says. How did how did you get that uh, that piano moved? And uh, that that pastor says, one inch at a time. So so sometimes you know you just gotta you know lead people bit by bit, and finally they'll they'll get it. Uh, I know I'm, uh, in my own uh, personal ministry, I was wanting to move a, a bell choir. Uh, their practice and and where they played to be all in one spot. They was going to have a new spot, but it was in a loft up above the congregation. But they were going to have their own room up there. Nobody's going to mess with their stuff. They could lock it up. They could do anything that they wanted to. They had freedom. But see, they were uh, and why I was wanting to move them is because uh, you know they had uh, over time they had taken over uh, the youth room. And that was one of my titles at this at this church that I was serving, uh, was youth pastor. Well, uh, I I got him uh, the the uh, the ball choir uh, director. Uh, he was uh, he was okay with it, and then uh, and things I thought were going to move uh, along pretty good. Uh, was about uh, ready to make the change, and then. Uh, uh, some someone or or maybe a couple people of the old ladies or whatever or uh, older ladies I should say uh, they well I won't be able to see the bell choir anymore while they're playing and it's like so but anyway that kind of a statement the bell choir never got moved so. Uh, but you know they had played down in the front, in front of everybody, so everybody could see them do their dingling and and uh, uh, and yeah, you know, that's you know tradition just uh, was that way for them. But you know, and people get like that. Uh, it's kind of like this old army sergeant who was put in charge of a plot of grass in front of the administrative headquarters in a camp in Michigan. Well, the sergeant promptly delegated the job to a buck private and told him to water the grass every day at 5 o'clock. The private did this conscientiously. One day, there was a terrific thunderstorm, and the sergeant walked into the barracks and saw the private doing bunk fatigue. What's the matter with you, boy? The sergeant bellowed. It's 5 o'clock, and you're supposed to be out watering the grass. But, Sergeant, the private said, looking confused, it's raining. Look at the thunderstorm. So what, yelled the Sergeant. You've got a raincoat, haven't you? People are resistant to change. But, uh, but I, we talk about change uh, because uh, we need to understand, uh, as leaders, why uh, people don't want to change. So sometimes, you know, well, many instances, uh, people uh, don't want to change because, you know, we're not willing to change ourselves. So we need to be good leaders, and uh, and that helps us understand if if we know that we need to change, and uh, and we can show other people how to change as well. Well, and uh, and this is why you're here, uh, uh, looking at the business. 
Well, with Maniac Marketers, we teach you how to change and grow to be a leader. And we also teach you how to build your work at home business. So we're with you there uh, in both, uh, both sides. So let us start about how marketing has evolved for us today. Now, it used to be that people send out uh, thousands, thousands, and thousands of emails, and uh, and uh, and that's the way marketing went. And uh, and there's all kinds of marketing out there. There's comment marketing, there's article marketing, email, traffic exchanges, bunch of others. Well, I like to focus on two. Uh, I call it the twofold process: educational and relationship marketing. Well, educational marketing, by definition, is providing information to the person searching for the answer to the question that he or she has. And if uh, they they like what you ha uh, have to say in your information, well, maybe they will buy a, your product. And relationship marketing is uh, definition is being able to connect with another person on some level, and if they feel that he or she's uh, made a connection with you, well, uh, maybe they will buy uh, your product. And then we can combine these two, educational and relationship marketing. Uh, and there's some elements uh, in, in both uh, that work together. For instance, if, uh, if you provide personal stories of what you are writing about, well, people will make that connection with you. Uh, and it's a way of you putting your hand out there, uh, di your digital handshake uh, for people uh, to make that connection. Well, then we have the coming together of two ages. We have the information age and we have the social community age. The information age is, is uh, you guessed it, Google, Bing, Yahoo, uh, these search engines that are out there. Uh, holding this information just waiting for you to to go look for it and uh, to give the answers uh, that, that that you're looking for. Google has about two billion searches a day. I'm sure it's probably even more uh, more than that today but uh, for now we'll just say two billion searches a day. Uh, I think uh, I, I, my, I think I've, I've even been, a, been able to teach my mother uh, I think she's 67 now. Uh, teach her uh, how to look up stuff on uh, uh, on Google, and uh, so uh, people are using that more and more. Uh, Bing has a little bit of the share of the of the search engine market, as well as Yahoo. Okay, and then uh, and then we have the social community age. Uh, that's where people come together to share common interests. And that's why uh, places like Facebook and MySpace, Ning, Dig, Spadoo, YouTube, they've all grown over the last few years. Facebook has more than 500 million active users, and about half of those uh, users are active, uh, actively logged into uh, Facebook in any given day. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people have, uh, well, the average user has about 130 friends. Uh, and I thought that was interesting here that uh, people spend over 700 billion minutes per month on Facebook. And it's like, man, uh, I mean, I have Facebook up a lot, but I don't, I don't spend that much time on it. And, uh, but there are people out there uh, that, oh, I got to go check my Facebook. See if I got any email. So people use uh, are religiously out there on Facebook, and of course then there's Twitter. Uh, there's about 200. Oh, there's there's about 210 uh, million registered users out there now. If we do the math uh, here, uh, and uh, I heard recently on uh, the Wall Street Journal was saying that they thought. Uh, Twitter was going to be a part of something bigger. So it's going to be interesting to see how Twitter grows over the next few years. Uh, they didn't know how, uh, and it was 
kind of a, well, and they deal with that technology. They're this person that was being interviewed. They, they deal with that technology all the time. So, but they thought that it was going to be something uh, of a much bigger thing. So, uh, we'll see what happens with Twitter. Just keep it out of the hands of uh, Microsoft, right? <laughs> uh, 55 million tweets a day. See, people are, and, and it's got its own search engine, too. Uh, Twitter search engine, 600 million search queries per day. Microsoft already got uh, Twitter. I guess I hadn't heard that one. Oh, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and people are are using it. I was I uh, on uh, I did a Google search on uh, on uh, this uh, one keyword I've been going after uh, anti-inflammatory product and uh, and. There uh, and I don't know if it's still there now. Uh, it comes and goes. Uh, a couple days it's there, and then I looked in, uh, on the third day, and it's and it's not there. Uh, but uh, I had a, a Twitter that was on the uh, the number one position there. Uh, but uh, people can use Twitter to uh, search. Uh, uh, you know, use it just like a search engine. Wall Street Journal says that. Uh, this age group, 12 to 17, has dropped on email usage by 24%. That's a big drop for that age age bracket for any age any age bracket. Uh, I'd like to see uh, uh, what that is overall. You know, is that a is that a trend that uh, people are going to that uh, they're going to quit using email as much? You know, a lot of people are using their cell phones to text so. Uh, and then Twitter, of course, is on uh, on cell phones. I guess you can get Facebook on uh, on that as well. But web-based email, it did drop by six percent. So. Well, this is what brings us to uh, to business. Uh, if you'd like to be involved with uh, with the Maniac Marketers, our product line is from Trivita. It's a health and wellness company. They have all kinds of vitamins, A, B, C, D, E, F. Or E, yeah. and then I think there's a balanced woman. There's peaceful sleep, uh, all kinds of uh, iron vitamins and uh, uh, bone uh, bone builder, or calcium, which is a uh, calcium uh, 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 put back in your body. And anyway, uh, so there's they got all kinds of vitamins out there and anti-inflammation uh, products. Um, you know, uh, stress release uh, to help stress relieve. Anyway, the companies out there, uh, they want to help us. They want to help us in two ways. They want to inspire and help people experience that, that greater overall wellness. So if you're taking care of your health, uh, you know, you're going to be able to uh, uh, probably stay away from the doctor as much. I'm not going to say that you'll never go to the doctor or anything like that, uh, but uh, uh, you know uh, what we want to try to do is you know just live healthier lives so we don't have to go to the doctor as much. And that, and Trivita wants to help us with that. Well, they also want to help us make money. They they're giving us the opportunity to create wealth, uh, and uh, and that you know and that benefits you. And it benefits me as well. Well, then we have our marketing system called Veritech, and man, this thing is a monster uh, of a marketing machine and a marketing tool, uh, SEO tool, however you want to refer to it. And uh, it has a, and, and that's how we get uh, top Google positions. Um, that's how we uh, market uh, out there on the on the internet. It has a lead generation system inside this thing. It's got its own classified ad system. Man, you can make uh, splash pages, and uh, there's ad submission tools. You can put your uh, ads just all over the internet, and that helps build backlinks and stuff like that. It's got its own blogging system, and you don't have to go look for all that other junk. 
and, and if you even if you did any one of these things, uh, Raymond Jewell used to have a, a cost analysis of each one of these things of how much it would cost if you bought it outside the system. Okay, Jack. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's got its own bulk mailer. Man, it's got everything. Well, then we have our social community over at tomorrowshomebusiness.name.com. Uh, you can go over there and just have uh, all sorts of fun, and you can uh, and and for business as well. So you know we can play together and we can work together. You can post uh, information through blogs and videos. Uh, you can share information from one location to other social communities. Uh, you know you can, uh, you can connect with you know put your stuff over to Facebook and Twitter and all that. Just from that one spot, uh, I do that all the time. You can create your own profile page uh, to uh, represent you. Uh, these uh, and in uh, each of these profile pages are promotable on the search engine. So if you put a blog out there, man, you can go promote that just like you would any other blog. You can use RSS feeds. Uh, uh, you know, just however you want to set your your uh, profile page up, and uh, and then we have people just you know we're working together, and then we're in relationship. I know uh, David Bo David Ogden's been over there, and man, he he puts a, a blog up there, and and I hit the like button on his. You know, uh, I'm not sure what it does for a search engine and all and stuff like that, but hey, you know, I'm there to to help David out too, and. Uh, and you know, uh, you know, we can we can do that. We can help each other uh, individually and as a group. So uh, put that out there for you. Tomorrow's home business. Dot And uh, then we have our group here, Maniac Marketers. You know, I've, uh, we've gotten a lot of information from uh, Butch Hamilton and uh, showing us how uh, how we can get to the top of the search engines. And uh, and you know several of us uh, should be able to uh, to help you uh, in that effort to get to the top of the search engines. So if you'd like to to join uh, with us, you know get back with the person that brought you here, or uh, or you can give me a call anytime. Uh, here's my information, and uh, and I thank you for for coming. If you have any questions, just uh, you go ahead and, and uh, uh, you know ask it, or or uh, I'll uh, turn the music back on, and and, uh, and I thank you all for coming uh, to tonight's presentation of the Maniac Marketers. Thank <laughs> you.